Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why there's no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog, why you should praise kids for their work ethic and not their smarts, and why you should never put coffee grounds in your garden. Let's satisfy some curiosity. If you're listening with a golden doodle, you're going to want to sit down. I'm just going to come out and say it. There's no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. Not poodles, not Yorkshire Terriers, not even golden doodles. Here's the deal. Some dog breeds that are marketed as hypoallergenic shed relatively little hair. But it turns out that hair isn't the culprit for allergies. The allergen that causes dog lovers the most misery is a protein called CAN-F1. It gets stuck to dried flakes of skin, aka dander, that fly through the air and accumulate on their coats. But the allergen itself comes from the dog's saliva. Yeah, those sneezes are a reaction to dried flecks of dog spit. But hold on. Maybe hypoallergenic dogs just produce less CAN-F1 than your average pooch. Unfortunately, a 2012 study cast that hypothesis into serious doubt, too. For that study, researchers took hair from nearly 200 supposedly hypoallergenic dogs and 160 regular dogs. They also went to the dogs' houses and collected dust from the floor and air. They analyzed all those samples and found, get ready for this, significantly higher levels of CAN-F1 in the hair samples from the hypoallergenic dogs. They had more allergens. The dust taken from the floor in homes with a Labradoodle had lower levels of the allergen, but the airborne dust was the same no matter what breed. So what's an allergic dog lover to do? Well, the most important thing to note is that some individual dogs can cause fewer or less severe allergic reactions. So if you've got a canine that works for you, then great. If not, here are some things to keep in mind. First, Small dogs tend to shed less dander than big ones, so you may want to get a pet on the more petite side. Next, keep your dog's dander to a minimum with regular baths. Taking them for a swim every now and then is a good tactic, too. But no matter what you do, Fido's going to flake. Reduce the effect of your dog's dander by shampooing carpets or forego carpets altogether. Using a HEPA purifier and regularly changing vent filters in the central heat and air system can also help. If that doesn't fix the problem, you might consider a more serious compromise. Keep your dog away from the places you spend the most time. That might mean keeping your pooch out of the bedroom or even outside when the weather's nice. If none of that does the trick, contact your doctor. There's a good chance an allergist can help. I'm pretty new to parenting, so full disclosure, this next story is not me trying to tell you how to be a good parent. I'm like probably most new parents because the vast majority of the time, I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Now, having said that, there is some science out there when it comes to how you talk to kids. And that science says that if you're going to praise kids, you should praise them for their work ethic, not their smarts. And this, by the way, it comes from decades of research that's shown that when children are praised for intelligence instead of effort, they do worse on academic tasks. So how could praising a child for something as valuable as intelligence be bad? 
Well, by making children think that their achievement was a result of something they are rather than something they did. Like, take the results of a study from 2006. Jennifer A. Mangles and her research team surveyed college students about their views on intelligence. Specifically, is intelligence a trait that you can't change, or can you get smarter with effort? Then the researchers sorted those students into those who had a fixed perspective and believed intelligence can't be changed, and those who aligned with the growth view and believed intelligence can be improved. Next, the students sat at a computer and answered questions about a variety of academic subjects. After every answer, the computer told them whether they were right or wrong, and what the correct answer was. Then they took the test again, but this time, they only had to answer the questions they had gotten wrong the first time. All the while, researchers measured their brain activity. And the results? Both the fixed and growth belief groups did equally well on the first test, but on the second test, the growth students were more likely to ace the questions they originally got wrong. Activity in these students' brains seemed to show deeper attention when their wrong answer was corrected, which suggests that they were learning better than the fixed students. Now, if you believe intelligence is fixed, you may be thinking, beliefs are one thing. What's the value in believing something if it isn't true? Well, I hate to break it to you, but the science is on the side of the malleable intelligence. Even IQ, you know, that cold, hard, trusty number, changes throughout your life. And there's also plenty of research showing that the environment you're raised in has a big impact on your smarts, something that would not be true if your intelligence were fixed at birth. So, what's a supportive parent to do? Well, the first step is convincing yourself. If you believe intelligence is fixed, you'll probably pass that on to your kids. Encourage children to exercise their mind like a muscle, and then praise them for their persistence, effort, and hard work rather than just being smart. We've talked about the benefits of being around nature a lot on this podcast. And with spring officially here in the Northern Hemisphere, you might be thinking about growing some plants in your yard, apartment, or bedroom. Which is why we've dug up this pro tip from 2018 so you don't make a serious groundskeeping gaffe in your garden. Cody, do you do any gardening? I do, yeah, on my back balcony. What do you grow? Flowers. Cool. <laughs> I just kind of go to the store and pick up whatever looks pretty and might bloom. And there you go. Nice. Well, do you ever put any compost or coffee grounds or anything in your garden? I have put used coffee grounds on the soil, I guess, to help flowers grow. Right. And you should stop doing that immediately. Oh, no. Yes. So coffee grounds do have nutrients like nitrogen, which is essential for plant growth. And, you know, people say it can be good for your garden to add organic material to the soil in general, since bacteria will feed on it and break it down into more nutrients for the plants. But if you research this online, you know, people will say coffee grounds are highly acidic, so you should only use them with acid-loving plants like azaleas and blueberries. And if your soil already has a bunch of nitrogen, then the extra boost might stunt the growth of fruits and flowers. But the biggest problem is that coffee grounds are full of caffeine. And that is bad for your garden. But like coffee and chocolate are plants, right? And they contain caffeine. Totally. But have you ever wondered why? Like, why do they make caffeine? 
There's got to be a reason since those two plants aren't even related. Coffee and chocolate plants evolved the ability to make caffeine independently. That's something biologists call convergent evolution. So when two species evolve the same trait completely on their own, that trait is probably pretty important. Think wings on bats and birds or eyes on humans and squids. We're not related, but we both evolved them because they're important to our survival. Well, for caffeine, that reason is competition. It kills off any plants in the surrounding area. Uh Oh, yeah. So that's bad. A recent study in the journal Urban Forestry and Urban Greening said that applying spent coffee grounds directly to urban agriculture soils, quote, greatly reduces plant growth, end quote. And that was true even when they composted the coffee grounds with other organic waste, which a lot of people say you should do. Another study found that compost spiked with coffee grounds can kill earthworms. And remember how adding organic material to your soil can attract helpful bacteria? Well, coffee grounds also have antibacterial properties. So maybe drink the coffee yourself and keep your grounds out of the garden. Yikes. Yeah. And while you might think that all the caffeine is gone once you brew the cup of coffee, spent coffee grounds still have about as much caffeine as a cup of tea. Wow. Yeah. You're still doing some harm to your garden. Just in time for gardening season. Just in time. Don't do it. That was fun. Let's recap today's takeaways, starting with the fact that there is no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. The worst of the allergens from dogs comes from a protein in dog saliva, not dog hair. That saliva gets stuck to a dog's dander. Now, what could help if you're worried about dog allergies is keeping in mind that smaller dogs do tend to shed less dander and regular baths and carpet cleaning can help reduce the overall amount you have to deal with. There are solutions, just not the ones you may have heard. And we also learned that research suggests that you should praise kids for their work ethic and not how smart they inherently are. That's because they can change how hard they work, but they can't change who they are. And they may perform worse academically if they believe their intelligence is something that's fixed and they can't improve it. I'm totally on team growth mindset right here. Yeah, practice makes perfect. Yeah. We also learned that you shouldn't put coffee grounds in your garden because caffeine is bad for most plants. And sure, coffee and chocolate come from plants that make caffeine, but they're doing that to kill competitors trying to get in on their territory. They don't like to share with their neighbors. And even after you brew your morning joe, those used coffee grounds have about as much caffeine as a cup of tea. So, probably want to keep it away. This story has gotten the most hate of any story we've ever run, I think. What? Really? People get so upset about this one just because it's like it's something that they do. It's like something that you, you know, you've always known you should do. You know, you uh, I don't know, you, you compost, you save egg cartons to put seedlings in or something and you put coffee grounds in your soil. And it's just a thing you do to help your plants. And like hearing that that's bad for your plants is you know, them's fighting words. A lot of people get upset about this one. So if you're upset about this, go ahead and email us. Curiosity at discovery.com. I would love to hear your thoughts. But, you know, there's a reason we're running it again, because we really do stand by the research behind this one. Yeah, you know, plants use caffeine to keep other plants away. And I just want something to keep my squirrels from digging up my tulip bulbs. I've said it before and I'll say it again, Ashley. It's- Darn squirrels. You have said it before. We planted a lot of tulip bulbs just before the first frost last winter. And I'm very excited to see my yard very soon. 
I'll uh, I'll post pictures on Twitter or something once they start to sprout up. That or I'll post pictures on Twitter of me standing out of my back deck, shaking my fist and screaming at all the squirrels in the yard. Get off my lawn. <laughs> or both. <laughs> or both. Or both. <laughs> we'll see. Today's stories were written by Grant Curran and Ashley Hamer and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Today's episode is produced and edited by Cody Goff. You are such a good listener. And if you spaced out for a bit here and there, don't worry. You can learn to be a better listener. I know you can do it. Start practicing by joining us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.